coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. Every fall Saturday is great. They're all exciting. Don't get me wrong. We love each and every one of them. They are precious. They are sacred. But as great as they are on their own, you can still spice them up a little bit by getting in on the action with my bookie. Raise the stakes a little bit on some of those games that you otherwise probably wouldn't care that much about. It gives you a little bit of a rooting interest and makes your fall Saturday even more fun. So sign up for a new account at mybookie.ag today and use the promo code UGA to get a 50% deposit bonus on that first deposit. You're not going to find a deal like that anywhere else and make sure to jump on it today while you still can. It'll be rolling through August and through the early part of the season, but it won't be around forever. So again, make sure to use the promo code UGA at mybookie.ag. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and I am back again today with another edition of our Scouting the Enemy series, and we're getting close to the end, guys. We've got this one, we've got Tennessee next week, and then maybe if we can find some time to squeeze it in, maybe possibly we'll do a Georgia Tech one if you guys want me to. I'm open to it, but I also don't want to produce something that you guys don't really care about. So let me know on the Georgia Tech front, and we'll make it happen if you want me to. If not, we'll do something a little bit different. But we are nearing the end, and I don't really know how to feel about it. It's a little bittersweet to me because I love doing these scouting the enemy breakdowns. I love breaking down our opponents and giving you guys my take on some of these different teams that we're going to play throughout the season. So on one hand, I hate that that is almost over, but then on the other hand, it just means that the 2023 season is just around the corner, and how can you be upset when it's right there in front of us? So with only two of these left, at least two, maybe three, if you want me to do a tech one, we'll see. But with there being a good chance that there's only two left, I guess that's what we should say. We got to make the most of this one today. And today we are setting our sights on the Ole Miss Rebels. I'm pumped up for this one, guys. These last two I've been waiting on for a while. Ole Miss I'm excited about because we don't ever really get to talk Ole Miss on this show because we rarely play them. You know, we'll talk about them a little bit on our pick show at the end of each week during the season. But we don't get to really dive into them like I'm going to do today here on the show. So I'm excited for this. I've been working on this one for a long time and going back and watching all their games from last year. And man, I'm ready to have some fun with this today. But before we get there, I do want to remind you real quickly about our new Glory UGA YouTube channel. Our latest video is up and ready for your viewing pleasure. I was hoping to get it out on Sunday. I tried, guys. I really tried. But I had to move my schedule around a little bit on Sunday to get Charlie on here to kind of align with what she had going on on Sunday. And then life just got busy yesterday. It happens sometimes. And I just didn't end up having as much time as I thought I would to get it done. So it's ready. It was up today. And this one is on the five freshmen that I think have the best chance to make an impact on Georgia's 2023 football season. We really try to put out as much content as we can throughout the entire year. When we get in the summer months, especially once we hit July, we go three episodes a week. Once we get into the season, we'll go four episodes a week. We're trying to make sure you guys have all the Georgia content that you need and want. But despite all the content that we try to get out there for you guys, there's always something that we just don't have room to fit in. And the YouTube channel gives us a chance to kind of throw some of those ideas out there at you that are separate from what you get here on the podcast. 
So even if you listen to the pod, make sure to check out the YouTube channel because you're going to get some different things that we just don't really have time to cover here on the podcast, at least not directly. And I am crazy excited about the opportunities for breaking down film that we're going to have during the season on that channel. So go ahead, like, subscribe, please subscribe. That's a huge help to the podcast. Also, five-star ratings and reviews wherever you get the podcast, whether it's Apple Pods, Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. That's also a huge help, and I appreciate each and every one of you that, number one, just listen to the show. Thank you for that. But if you go that extra mile and watch the YouTube channel, like and subscribe, give us those five-star ratings and reviews, we really really cannot thank you guys enough for that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We 1,000% appreciate you guys. But all right, let's talk some Ole Miss football, shall we? And this Ole Miss team, I find to be a really fascinating team entering the 2023 season. I think they have a chance to be really good, guys. I, I don't know if I want to call them a sleeper because I don't know if anyone's necessarily sleeping on them. I think there's a certain level of respect for Ole Miss that maybe there's not for a team like Missouri. I think Missouri could be a sleeper or maybe Kentucky. I don't think there's a ton of respect for Kentucky coming into this year. I think Ole Miss has a certain level of respect, but I do think that they have a chance to be really good. Now, The question always becomes with Ole Miss. With that schedule, I think they have arguably the toughest schedule in the entire country. I would say Ole Miss, maybe Florida, have the two most difficult schedules in the country. I mean, listen to this schedule, guys. Okay, they open the season at home against Mercer. W, obviously. Then they go on the road to play Tulane, who is a top 25 team this year that just beat USC in the Cotton Bowl to end last year. Michael Pratt, the starting quarterback for Tulane last year, also returns. Now, they lose some guys like Tajay Spears, their their star running back from last year. Still a really well-coached, really talented, really good G5 school. That is a tough game to play them on the road. You have to question, Ole Miss, what are you doing? Why are you playing at Tulane? I mean, maybe it's a cool trip for the fan base. Yeah, New Orleans, great, awesome, but... At Tulane, really, like, what is the benefit there for your institution, for your program? I don't get that one. Then they have Georgia Tech at home. That's going to be a W. They destroyed Tech on the road last year. Then week four at Alabama followed immediately after that with a home game against LSU. Yes, they have Alabama, LSU, back-to-back weeks. And those are their number four, number five in the recently released AP poll. Then they have what I think is going to be a sneaky good Arkansas team that I already have a win total bet on for them to go over six and a half this year. Yes, I did double down on the Hogs after they let me down last year. We'll see if I learned my lesson after this year. I don't know. But Arkansas, even though it's a home, tricky game. Then they have the bye week. Then they go at Auburn. I think Auburn is going to be better than what some people think they are. I think they have some really good things in the transfer portal. Vandy at home, that's a win. Then you got AM at Georgia. Louisa Monroe at Mississippi State. So let's think about this schedule, guys. First off, they have to play at Alabama and at Georgia. There's not one other team in America that has to do that this year. You have Alabama and LSU, the number four and number five teams in the preseason AP poll, back-to-back early in the season. You have one heck of a dangerous G5 game on the road at Tulane, which really might be one of the biggest games in the history of the Tulane program, at least in the regular season. I mean, the Green Wave do not get SEC teams coming to their stadium. That simply does not happen. And then on top of all that, you still have the rest of the SEC West schedule, which I would argue is the toughest division in all of college football. I guess maybe you could argue the Big Ten East with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. But with LSU, Alabama, I think A&M is super talented. I think Ole Miss is really good. I think the depth of the SEC West is just simply greater than the Big Ten East. I mean, the Big Ten East guys, they have Maryland, they have Rutgers, they have Indiana, There's nobody like that in the SEC West. Every one of those teams can absolutely beat you on any given Saturday. You can't say that about Rutgers. You just can't. So it is one hellacious schedule, which means even though I think they're going to be a really good, talented football team, 
their record might not indicate. Their record might not be as good as it was last year, even though I think this could be a team that takes a step forward from what it was last year. And they, I thought they were good last year. Remember I told you guys in the preseason when, when Charlie and Curtis and I did our preseason predictions, when I got to Ole Miss and I was kind of giving you my thoughts on them, I told you guys straight up, I thought they would start the season 7-0 because their schedule was pretty light to open the season. And then it was really backloaded with Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M and all those teams. And I felt like they, that they were going to end the season 8-4 and four after a 7-0 start. Like I thought they were going to be 7-0 to open the season, potentially a top five team in America at 7-0 in the SEC. And they weren't quite ever in the top five because there was just not that much respect for who they beat. Because last year, I mean, to open the season, it was Troy, Central Arkansas, Tech, Tulsa, Kentucky, Vandy, Auburn. I looked at that start, I'm like, yeah, they're going to win every one of those games. They're going to be 7-0. But then, it's, then it was... Uh, at LSU, at AM, Alabama, God, just a terrible run of games there. Then at Arkansas, Mississippi State, and lo and behold, what ends up happening? Yeah, they go 8-4 and four after a 7-0 and start. I don't think it will work out that way this year because their schedule is not backloaded. I mean, they got Alabama and LSU both within the first five games of the season. Things are spread out a little bit better for them this year outside of that Alabama-LSU stretch, but it's still a just murderer's row of a schedule. And even though I do think that they could certainly end up being more talented and a better overall team, I don't know if eight and four is in the cards. I think they have a shot. They they certainly have a shot. And if, if things bounce their way, this could be a maybe nine and three team. I don't think they're going to win at, at Alabama. I don't think they're going to win at Georgia. LSU at home is going to be a very difficult game. They're certainly capable of winning that, but it's certainly more likely than not that they would lose that game. LSU's got to be the favorite heading into it. So a nine and three is possible. I just think seven to five is more likely than nine and three. I think the answer is probably eight and four. I think that's about where they will end up. And that's about right for Lane Kiffin, right? Lane Kiffin is a really good coach. He's a good football coach, a really good offensive mind. We know what the issue has been, especially at Ole Miss. He just has not been able to really match anything remotely close to a competent defense with what have been usually pretty electric offenses. But here's what Kiffin has traditionally done wherever he's been, whether it's at LSU, whether it's at Tennessee, USC, Florida Atlantic. He beats the teams that they should beat. But he has an extraordinarily difficult time of beating the upper echelon teams that Ole Miss has to play. And check this stat out. 20 times in Lane Kiffin's career as a coach, his teams have matched up against an opposing team that went on to win at least nine games. His record in those games is 1-19. The only win that a Lane Kiffin team has over another team that went on to win at least nine games was back in 2011 when he was coaching USC. They won at Oregon by three points, by a score of 38 to 35. The other 19 games that he has coached against a team that went on to win nine or more games, his team has lost. So that doesn't exactly bode well when you look at a schedule that features at Alabama, at Georgia, versus LSU, at Tulane, who's once again the favorite to win the American Athletic Conference this year. An A&M team that certainly has the talent to go win nine or more games. Will they do it? I don't know. They got the talent to do it. It just doesn't bode well for this Ole Miss team when you think about that stat. And guys, we're talking about a 12-year sample size. This is not me just you know cherry-picking a stat from a year or two. We're talking about his entire 12-year career as a college football coach. The guy just simply doesn't beat good teams. Why is that? I go back to the defense. It's been a problem for him basically wherever he's been. It was less of an issue at USC, but still wasn't very good at USC. His offenses weren't quite as dynamic there as they have been at Ole Miss and even at FAU. 
But that's why I find this Ole Miss team fascinating. I think they have a lot of talent at a lot of different spots on the field. I think they're going to be better on defense this year. They bring in a new, a new defensive coordinator from Alabama and Pete Golding. That's very interesting. But despite all the talent, they just can't seem to really ever find a way to beat those best teams on their schedule. Like, like Alabama, they've gotten close a couple times. Like they should have beaten Alabama last year. They completely a thousand percent blew that game. They outgained Alabama. They were leading most of that game and they folded down the stretch. They just can't seem to close the door in these games against these elite opponents. They've been right there knocking on the door. They just haven't been able to close it. Will that change this year? I don't know. It's worth watching. And again, that's why I find this team to be so fascinating entering the 2023 season. All right, now it's time to dive into this Ole Miss offense. And this is an offense that I love watching. It's a really interesting, fascinating offense. And they do things in a very unique way. I do think in some ways it's similar to the Tennessee offense that we'll get to next week. Their offense is not like the Tennessee offense. It's very They're two very different things. Tennessee's offense is like the old Baylor, Art Bryles offense. That's not what Ole Miss runs. But the similarity is I think that there is a pretty common misconception about what the Ole Miss offense is. Like Tennessee, people think Tennessee just throws the ball around the park all game long. That is not what they do. Tennessee runs the football far more than they throw the football. That's reality. Ole Miss is the exact same way. I think the average college football fan, if you ask them, okay, what, what is Ole Miss's offense like? You, they would say, oh, they throw the ball a lot. And that's not really the case at all. They do throw it. I'm not saying they exclusively run the football, but don't get it twisted. This is a run first team. And it's just wild to me, like the conceptions people have about different offenses. If you ask the average fan about the Georgia offense, like describe the Georgia offense. What would they say? Oh, it's antiquated, old school, run the ball down your throat, boring football, old man football, right? Well, that's not exactly true. Yeah, we do like to run the football and we will get in some 12 personnel, but we throw the ball a lot more than people want to give us credit for. I talked about on one of our YouTube episodes that I did a couple weeks ago. We throw the ball more than Tennessee does. I don't think the average college football fan understands that. We absolutely do. And it's the same thing with Ole Miss. It's just funny how these narratives catch on and people just accept it as truth and they just don't actually watch games themselves. They watch a game here and there and they hear this narrative about Georgia's offense. Like, oh yeah, well, Georgia's just old school, boring offense. Who would want to go play that offense? It's like, um, actually, we throw the ball more than Tennessee does. We throw the ball more than Ole Miss does. And they would probably argue to the death that that's not true, but facts are facts. And here are the facts. Ole Miss last year, Ran the ball 61% of the time. We ran the ball 53% of the time last year. Ole Miss in 2021 ran the ball 58% of the time. We ran it 57% of the time. So pretty close in 2021. And then 2020, this is Lane Kiffin's first year at Ole Miss. They ran the ball 58% of the time. We ran it 55% of the time. So not one single year in Lane Kiffin's three years at Ole Miss have the Rebels thrown the football more than we do. People just think that they do because they run the football from spread looks and they do it in a little bit of a different, maybe a slightly more creative way. They use more QB run game stuff. It just looks a little bit different than our offense. Our offense is certainly more traditionally pro style. They are a heavy, heavy, heavy RPO team. So the majority of the time when they're throwing the football, honestly, it's RPOs. They have a variety of RPOs that they'll run. They'll run, they'll run some plus one boundary RPOs where basically it's just a go route and they're, they're, they're reading the boundary safety. They're saying, okay, is this guy going to, is he going to trigger against the run on the play action? If he does, they throw the they throw the fade. If he doesn't, they run the football. They'll run some pretty basic what I call pop RPOs, where it's just like the tight end or slot receiver, and you're just keying the inside linebacker to that receiver to that tight end. If he triggers against the run on the run action, you throw the pop pass. If not, you hand it off. 
They'll run some toothpick action, some floss action where you have a tight end or a slot receiver that's going across the line of scrimmage and you're and you're reading the backside in. If he crashes, then you pull it and you throw it to the tight end or the receiver. If he stays the receiver, the tight end, then you hand it off and you've got the numbers advantage. For them, it's all about the numbers. It's all about getting the numbers advantage and they do that primarily through RPOs, and that's why they end up running the ball more than they throw it because they they really go to the line of scrimmage with two plays, right? It's it's a run play or a pass play. It's an RPO. The quarterback's making the post-snap read, and more often than not, that post-snap read is telling him to hand the football off. They do run with tempo, and anytime a team runs with tempo, that makes people think that they are like a new-age, pass-happy offense, and that just cannot be further from the truth. Are there some teams that are tempo offenses that throw the ball up? Yeah, sure, there are, but not all of them. Like even back in the day with Gus Malzahn, they ran a lot of tempo stuff, right? They were never a pass happy team. Never. They were a, a were a physical downhill running team with a ton of window dressing that ran with tempo. That that's basically what their offense was. It was honestly one of the more simple offenses in the country. It just seemed really complex because they had a lot of motion, a lot of shifting. They ran with tempo. They would do the sugar huddle thing. And it had this illusion of complexity when in reality, it was so, so simplistic. And the only miss offense, guys, it's it's really much the same. They, they were really big on misdirection. One of the things that they really did a lot to great effect last year was they would pull their guards in one direction and they would run the play the other way. Usually when they would pull the guards in one direction, they would hand it off to the running back on like an outside zone play, like a wide play where basically he just had to outrun the defensive end who wasn't getting blocked. And more often than not, Zach Evans and Quinshaw Jukins, their top two backs last year, you know, they're better athletes than your average defensive end and they were able to outrun them and they got the edge there because when the linebackers read pulling guards, those are their keys. They are going to follow those pulling guards and, and a lot of times your, your defensive lineman will do the same thing. So the the edge was wide open because they were reading those pulling guards as their key and no one was on the other side. They did that all the time last year. In fact, at times, it almost seemed like it was like their base offensive running play. So misdirection is huge, RPOs, that's what this offense is built on. It's Lane Kiffin's core offense. He's not really calling the plays entirely. He's certainly heavily involved in that. Charlie Weiss Jr., yes, that Charlie Weiss. His son is now the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. He's somewhat of a Lane Kiffin protege. He coached with Lane at, at Florida Atlantic a couple years back. So they know each other well. They're familiar, familiar with each other. And that's why Kiffin felt comfortable turning over the play calling duties to Weiss Jr. early in this guy's career. So that's what they like to do from a schematic standpoint. Let's dive more into the personnel. Now, the quarterback situation is another reason why I find this team fascinating because they had a returning starter come back this year in Jackson Dart. Jackson Dart is a former really highly rated recruit from a couple years back. He's out of the state of Utah, initially went to USC as a true freshman, ended up starting a bunch of games for them when there were some injuries at the quarterback position for USC early in that season. And he was up and down. He dealt with a little bit of some injuries himself, but he's a really talented guy. He transfers from... USC to Ole Miss last year after Clay Helton was let go and he won the starting job. He beat, he beat out a guy named Luke Altmeyer. Altmeyer is now at Illinois is where he transferred. He's going to be their starting quarterback. And Dart was good last year. Now he wasn't Matt Corral level good. If you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, which I know a lot of you have, you probably remember I had a little bit of a man crush on Matt Corral. Not that I thought he was like the most gifted or talented quarterback ever, but that dude was tough as freaking nails. And I have so much respect for a quarterback that's like that. I mean, he would put that team on his back and he would do whatever it took for that team to win. He sacrificed his body more than once, many, many times. I mean, he would come out of games just beaten to a bloody pulp. I remember the Tennessee game. That was a game where Tennessee fans were throwing mustard Models and, and all sorts of crazy stuff at, at Lane Kiffin at the Ole Miss team. And I mean, in that game, Matt Corral just 
put that team on his shoulders, and it wasn't really throwing the football. I mean, that dude was just running the ball, taking off whenever he had opportunities, whenever he saw any room, he would take off, and I mean, he was getting beat up, man, and he just kept coming back play after play after play. Dude was just so tough, so I loved him, and he was awesome for Ole Miss. Dart wasn't that good last year. I mean, he was he was solid, he was fine, but he wasn't Matt Kraut, and I, Dart was... I don't want to say quite a liability as a passer. I don't think that's fair, but he was not as proficient throwing the football as Matt Corral was. And look, Matt Corral was really good, so that's kind of unfair to compare him to that, but there was a pretty significant drop-off there in their passing game. Dart completed 62% of his passes last year, and so you think, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, kind of, but when you're in an RPO-based offense and when you're throwing the football, it's in really advantageous, favorable situations your completion percentage should be much closer to 70%. He missed a lot of throws last year. He threw for a little under 3,000 yards, 2,900 yards, 8.2 yards per attempt, 20 touchdowns to 11 picks. He made some really bad decisions with the football. Now, he was still a really young quarterback, so you have to factor that into things as well. But they took a step back from where they were with Matt Corral in 2021. In 2021, Corral was 68% completion percentage, 8.7 yards per attempt, uh, 20 touchdowns, 5 picks, 34-ish, 100 yards. He was just better, and he was beat up most of that year. And Corral also gave him 614 yards on the ground. He was their leading rusher in 2021. Crazy stuff. But Dar was actually a good runner last year himself. Now, he he's not as fast or quick as Corral. Now, Corral wasn't like necessarily a burner. He wasn't like Anthony Richardson-level like dual-threat quarterback. That's not what he was. But he was more of an athlete and more el- elusive than Dart was. And, and Dart, like, he, he's functionally mobile. He moves, he, well, he's a little bit more than functionally mobile. He moves fairly well. He did give him six, 614 yards rushing last year himself, one touchdown. So he did a lot of good things. They, they'll do some design QB run stuff with him, some QB draw stuff, some QB power stuff at times. Some of that is when he just takes off. They, they move the pocket, roll him out, and he kind of has the option to run there. And if he sees room, he will just take off. They encourage him to do so. And over the years, Lane Kiffin's offense has increasingly relied on having a dual threat quarterback. I mean, Matt Corral wasn't really recruited necessarily as that kind of guy. He was an athletic guy, but it wasn't seen as like a true hardcore dual threat guy. He kind of turned into that for Ole Miss because that's what Lane Kiffin asked him to do because Lane Kiffin sees the value in having a dual threat quarterback and having a guy that can really hurt defense with his legs because you just can't account for everything and that can really stress the defense in a different way. So they tried to use Dart more in that role last year and that's really not what he was coming out of high school. It's certainly not what he was at USC, although he was banged up a little bit that freshman year. So moral of the story is, yes, Dart still gives them that running threat from the quarterback position. I don't know if I would call him dynamic. I wouldn't call him dynamic. In fact, I do know I would not call him dynamic, but he's effective as a runner. But here's the thing. Even though he's a returning starter, he's still fighting for that job because Ole Miss went out and got a couple of guys from the transfer portal. Number one, they went and got Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, which I just still find to be absolutely wild on a couple of fronts. Number one, if you're Ole Miss, why are you going and getting Spencer Sanders? He's got one year of eligibility left. You have a returning starter at quarterback. Clearly, you weren't completely thrilled with with Dart last year. And I get it. I get why. Like he was maybe not quite a liability, but also not that far off from being a liability as a passer last year. So they wanted a guy that's got more experience, maybe a little bit more proficient passer. But if that's the case, why do you go get Spencer Sanders? Like, he had a really good 2021 year. But outside that, that dude has been crazy inconsistent and erratic as a passer. But he is a dual threat quarterback. Like, that dude is a dynamic runner, and he, that kind of fits the Ole Miss offense, right? So on some level, I get it. I, I don't know if it's 
entirely what they were looking for, but I get it on some level. Now, where I really don't quite get it is on Spencer Sanders front. Like, why are you going to Ole Miss, who has an incumbent starter returning? It's your final year. Are you just really that confident in your abilities that you're, you're going to go in there and you're going to unseat an incumbent starter? Okay. Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out like that. It wasn't working out that way in spring practice. It's not working out that way so far in fall camp. Sanders is getting reps with the ones, but right now, everything that I'm hearing coming out of Ole Miss camp is that Dart is still the guy right now. And I mean, yeah, there's a couple of weeks left before the season kicks off, but not all that much time. I think there's a good possibility early in the year, maybe the first game, not early year, maybe the first game against Mercer. I don't know about Tulane. I mean, right off the bat, that's tough week two. I think there's a chance against Mercer, both of those guys will get some reps with the number one offense and get a series here or there, uh, even if you don't start. I do think Dart's going to start. Maybe Sanders gets some time against Mercer. Maybe even some time against Tulane. We'll see. I don't know. But I expect it to be Dart right now. And again, like, what are you doing, Spencer Sanders? Like, go somewhere where you don't have an incumbent starter. I, I just, maybe you just want to play in the SEC and that's the only place that really wanted him. Maybe, I don't know, just a, a weird situation. They also went and got a really highly rated quarterback. He was a highly rated prep quarterback from LSU. He's due by the name of Walker Howard. He's not going to start this year. He's not going to play really much, barring injury, maybe some garbage time stuff. But he will more than likely be their quarterback of the future. So that's for down the road. We don't care about that. We're just worried about 2023 right now. So it's really Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders. I think it's going to be Dart. But if it's Dart, Sanders, whoever ends up winning that job, they're going to have a really strong group of receivers to throw to. Now, they've got to do their job and actually hit the receivers when they're open. And Dart was not proficient at doing that last year. But this is one heck of a talented receiving group. The headliner, in my opinion, is a guy that is transferring in this year from UTSA, UT San Antonio. His name is Zachary Franklin. I don't know how much UTSA that you guys have watched the past couple years, and I don't blame you if you haven't watched a bunch of them. They haven't been on TV all that often, but I've watched quite a few of their games, probably like three or four of their games over the past two years. And their offense is dynamic. It's one of the most fun offenses to watch in the country. They throw the ball all over the place. And Zachary Franklin, in back-to-back seasons, went for over 1,000 yards for UTSA. One of those seasons was the COVID-shortened 2020 season. That's impressive when you have over 1,000 yards in 2020. That's doing something. I'm telling you guys, that dude is legit. He's not a big guy. He's like 6'1", 180, 185 pounds, somewhere in that range. But he is an explosive receiver who puts a lot of stress on the defense with his ability to stretch the field. He's a really talented guy, and he is going to create a lot of big play opportunities for them. Now, again, can the quarterback actually convert on those big play opportunities when they present themselves? That remains to be seen. But the receivers are going to present those opportunities, and Franklin will almost certainly be their top receiver this year. If it's not him, the other guy to watch for is another transfer by the name of Trey Harris. It's kind of funny, right, how Lane Kiffin, I love Lane Kiffin. I think he's hilarious. I think he's good for college football. I have a lot of appreciation for someone who doesn't take themselves all that seriously, and I I respect that about Lane Kiffin. But he has done a little bit of talking on both sides of his mouth when it comes to the NIL stuff. Every time he gets a microphone in front of him in a big setting like SEC Media Days or SEC Spring Meetings, he cannot help himself but just wax poetic about about how the unholy combination of NIL and the transfer portal is destroying college football and how unfair it is and how it has to be reined in. And honestly, I agree with the vast majority of what he says in that regard. But at the same time, he's also gained the reputation as the transfer portal king. So it's just kind of somewhat hypocritical. I guess you could just say, well, you know, he might hate the rules, but he's leveraging the rules to his advantage, why they are rules. He doesn't want to be left behind. And I get that. So I'm not going to kill the guy for it, but on some level it is 
at least a little bit hypocritical to scream from the rooftops about how dangerous NIL and the transfer portal are for college football and then go out there and be one of the leading guys each and every year in terms of taking guys from the transfer portal. But he does it each and every year and he does a great job of restocking their team. And it makes a lot of sense because Ole Miss is not a traditional recruiting power out of the high school ranks. So it is a program that can really benefit from the portal. And they've done that again this year. So Trey Harris, another guy they brought in, they brought him in from Louisiana Tech. He was just a hair under 1,000 yards receiving last year. He's a little bit of a bigger guy, a bigger body receiver, 6'2", about 200, 205. Maybe not quite as explosive as Franklin, but explosive enough. And again, gives him a different body type out there. Maybe a little bit more of a possession receiver, although I wouldn't necessarily classify him as a possession receiver. Maybe just more so than what Zachary Franklin gives him. But those are going to be their two top guys. They're two leading returning receivers from last year's team are two guys named Jordan Watkins and Dayton Wade. Both of them went for over 300 yards receiving last year. Watkins had 40 catches and 450 yards. So two really good complimentary pieces for them. They, neither guy's ever been the guy at Ole Miss, and I don't think they ever really project to be, at least not this year. But they are fantastic complimentary pieces for an offense that typically has at least three receivers on the field on most downs. They also have a really strong and I think underrated tight end room. They went out and brought in a guy from Memphis, another transfer. This dude, what a, what a name, Caden Priestcorn. Uh, Priestcorn's a bigger tight end, 6'5", 255, but he was a very productive receiver for Memphis last year, went for over 600 yards receiving. The tight end isn't always, or in fact, I should say, is kind of rarely a factor in Lane Kiffin's offenses, at least as they've been constructed at Ole Miss, but maybe that changes a little bit more talent at that position. They have Michael Trigg back, who was a former pretty big high school recruit at the tight end position, went to USC initially, then transferred to Ole Miss last year, and he had pretty high expectations coming into last season. He dealt with a lot of injuries and didn't really fulfill on those expectations, but apparently he's healthy now and he's ready to to take his shot to become the guy that everyone kind of expected him to be last year so that's a really really strong one-two punch at tight end with priest corn and trig i'm curious to see if they run some more 12 personnel stuff with those two tight ends and maybe take some of the receivers off the field i don't know it'd be interesting because they have two really good receivers in franklin and harris the other guys are good but they're more complimentary and if priest corn and trig if they figure those guys are more dangerous in the passing game and give them more of a matchup advantage than guys like Watkins and Wade do, I could see them going to more two tight end packages, which would be almost unprecedented for Lane Kiffin's offenses at Ole Miss. But that's something that just kind of bears watching as the season goes on. It kind of just depends on who they think gives them more of an option out there to create those advantages in the passing game. So this offense has all the makings of becoming a better passing offense this year. It all just comes down to quarterback play in that regard. They had really good receivers last year, and Jonathan Mingo and, and Malik Heath. They had some really good receivers. They just didn't have a quarterback that was consistently putting the ball on guys and making good decisions with the football. And just a quarterback they honestly just didn't really trust at times. At times, it was very clear they just were not going to throw the football because they did not want dart to have a chance to turn the ball over and blow a game they were just going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball they did that a lot against alabama last year and they were doing a great effect in the first half and then alabama kind of came on late and ended up stealing that game so we'll just see if they get better play at least in terms of the passing game from the quarterback this this passing offense can really take off this year and if you match that with a dynamic ground game Watch out, guys. This Ole Miss offense could be one of the best in the country if that happens. We don't know if it'll happen, but it has a shot to. And I'm still just getting warmed up here, guys. Plenty more left on this bone today. But before we move on, I do want to quickly remind you guys once again about our great friends at MyBookie. Football is so close to being back, guys. And when it does finally return... 
so will winning season at my bookie. NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, whatever sport you want to bet on, guys, my bookie has opportunities for you to do so. And they also have a brand new cash out system that gives you options to bet and win all season long. You guys know I am prone to lay down a parlay or two each and every week. And, uh, you know, I like to think I, I have a pretty good hit rate on those. But when I do lose those parlays, it's insane, guys. Almost invariably, it's one game. I lose one game. So if it's a three, four, five, 16 parlay, I don't really go beyond five ever. Sometimes I'll take a, a flyer on five or six, but it's always one team. It's always one team that screws me up. And it's usually the last game I'm waiting on. So with my bookie now and their new cash payout system, their cash out early system, you don't have to worry about that. If you hit your first three, your first four legs of the parlay, just cash out. You don't have to sweat it out the rest of the, of the day, the rest of the night. Just go ahead and cash out, and you can now do that at MyBookie. So get started today, guys. Go to MyBookie.ag right now and register for a free account, totally free. And when you make that first deposit, just use the promo code UGA to grab a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit completely on the house. Again, that's promo code UGA to claim your 50% deposit bonus for all new users. And for a limited time, they'll also throw in a free chip to use in the MyBookie Casino. So don't wait any longer. Sign up today at MyBookie.ag. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. Speaking of the ground game, talk about burying the lead here. The best player on this offense, at least in terms of productivity, is a guy that was a true freshman last year. Quinshawn Judkins came in and took the SEC by storm. He led the entire league as a true freshman in rushing. Again, let's go back to what I said at the outset. Make no mistake about it. This Ole Miss offense is a rushing heavy offense. And when they have a guy like Quinshawn Judkins, they leaned on that dude. 1,500 plus yards rushing as a true freshman, and he was a workhorse for them last year. He had 22 or more carries in eight of their 13 games last year and had 25 or more carries in five of their games last year. He was their number one option by far. Yes, they did have Zach Evans. We all know Zach Evans. Yes, that Zach Evans. He was supposed to be their star running back. They got him from the transfer portal from TCU prior to last season, but Judkins came in and just took that job. And Evans dealt with some injuries, a little bit more of a change of pace back for them. And Evans is, I mean, super athletic, super talented, but I mean, Judkins just stole the show for them. And I absolutely love Judkins' running style. He's a throwback tailback in the SEC. He is strong. He is powerful. He moves those legs. He turns them on contact. He does not go down just because you hit him. He runs violently. He runs angry. He's a solid receiver out of the backfield. The one thing that is not necessarily elite in his game is his long distance speed. Like his home run speed is not there. He does not, does not have that. He's a guy, if he, get, if he breaks free, you're probably going to catch him. Like he's not that kind of explosive running back, but he's got great feet, outstanding vision, amazing power that he runs with. He fights for every single yard. And nobody was really after this guy in high school. He was a three-star guy out of Alabama, actually. Nobody, none of the big boys were after this guy. That's why he went to Ole Miss. And he comes in year one. Obviously, Lane Kiffin saw something in him and went out and just completely balled out as a true freshman. And there's no reason to believe that that will change this year. Now, he does not have the complimentary piece in Zach Evans back this year. 
That guy this year is likely to be Ulysses Bentley, who was a pretty good running back at SMU a couple years ago. He transferred before last season as well. I thought it was going to be a one-two punch of Zach Evans and Bentley last year for Ole Miss. It ended up being a one-two punch of Zach Evans and Judkins. But this year, Ulysses Bentley, he dealt with some injuries last year. He's one of those guys that was banged up. They had a bunch of guys banged up last year. He's back, he's healthy, and he's probably going to be their number two guy. Uh, The other option there is another transfer. His name is Jam Griffin. He played at Tech for a couple of years. Prior to that, he actually started his career at Oregon State. Not a a feature back, not necessarily a dynamic running back, but a really good option there to kind of spell your top two guys when they need a breather. And with with Ole Miss running a bunch of tempo, those guys get tired fast, and they got to keep those guys rotating in and out. So he'll get some playing time. He's just not going to be their feature guy. And to pave the way for Judkins and company is an offensive line that returns four of five starters from last year's team that was number three in the country in rushing offense. And oh, by the way, that was with two freshman starters at tackle positions last year. Those guys are a year older. They're a year more experienced. They aren't freshmen anymore. And again, they were still number three in the country in rushing offense last year with two freshman tackles. Those guys are 1,000% going to be better this year. They've got the leading rusher in the SEC from a year ago back in year two. They've got a quarterback who ran for over 600 yards back on the team this year. And even if Dart doesn't win the job, Spencer Sanders has rushed for 1,400 yards in his college career. And it's the run threat that the quarterback in the Ole Miss offense poses that really creates a lot of room for Judkins and Zach Evans last year. This year it'll be Bentley. That's a major part of their offense and also the fact they run a lot of RPOs. So when they're running the football, typically they're running the football into an advantageous box with the numbers advantage, which again makes the running backs that much more effective. Do I think that Quinshaw Judkins is the most talented running back in the SEC or the most talented running back in the country? No, I absolutely do not believe that whatsoever. He's really, really good for that offense, but he certainly benefits from light boxes that he runs into almost every time he touches the football. He's a really, really good back. He has great vision. He runs with great power. I love his running style, but he's not like the athletic freak that some of the other running backs in the country are. He's not that kind of guy, but he's still super effective because of how the Ole Miss offense is structured. And that running attack is going to be potentially even more dynamic than it was last year. I know it's hard to believe because they were top three in the country, but there's a chance with what they have returning for that to actually be the case. And if you pair that with what has a chance to be a better passing attack, again, watch out for this Ole Miss offense. So I think that covers the offense, right? We feel good about that. Well, let's flip things over to the other side of the ball and let's, let's talk about this Ole Miss defense. An Ole Miss defense that I think has a chance to take another step forward this year after they took a really solid step forward last year in year three of the Lane Kiffin tenure. And no, they were not great by any stretch of the imagination on the defensive side of the ball last year. I mean, listen to some of these numbers. They were 57th nationally in scoring defense, getting up 25 and a half points a game. They were 47th nationally in points per play, 75th nationally in total defense, 49th in yards per play. They were 89th in rushing defense, 55th in passing defense. You get the idea. A very, very mediocre defense. And normally, you would look at that and say, that's not very good. You're not going to win a lot of football games with defense like that. And I would typically agree, but when your offense is as good as Ole Miss's offense has been under Lane Kiffin, you can kind of mitigate some of the defensive issues. But here's the thing. As, as mediocre and average as those numbers are, maybe even slightly below average in some cases, those numbers represent a Herculean jump from where they were in 2020 in Lane Kiffin's first year on the job. Let's remember how 
bad that Ole Miss defense was. I know it was the COVID year, but oh my God, it was one of the worst defenses I have ever seen in my entire life. They were not dead last. They were second to last in the entire United States of America in total defense. They gave up over 515 yards per game. Actually, almost 520 yards per game in 2020. They gave up almost 39 points per game, 117th nationally in 2020. It was truly one of the most dreadfully bad defensive performances I have seen over the course of a season. I know it was an abbreviated season, but a season nonetheless. So, so bad. They were slightly better in 2021, but not by all that much. Last year, though, when they lost defense coordinator DJ Durkin to Texas A&M, kind of weird. So that guy that was responsible for those really bad Ole Miss defenses, I know, like, you know, there's not a lot of talent there. He then gets hired by Jimbo Fisher to go be their DC at Texas A&M. Lane Kiffin brings in another guy last year. They did like a co-DC thing last year. The primary guy, from all accounts, was Chris Partridge, but they parted ways with him. He really did a good job of improving things last year, but this year, they bring in a guy who I know the Alabama fans don't particularly feel that fondly about, but they bring in Pete Golding, who has been the DC at Alabama since Jeremy Pruitt went and took the head coaching job at Tennessee. So he's been there for a couple years and did a nice solid job. Was he as good as Kirby Smart or even Jeremy Pruitt? No, I don't think so. I think their defense took a, a very slight step back under him, but they were still good. Now there's a lot of talent there, obviously. And he comes in to Oxford this year as the new defense coordinator. I think instantly his presence will upgrade this defense. And I say that because I believe, based on his past at Alabama, that he is going to force the issue more than what you've seen at Ole Miss in the past couple of years. They have played very, very passively at Ole Miss over the past couple of seasons. Ling basically sent his defensive staff to Iowa State to learn the 3-3-5 defense, which I, I do think can work in, in some situations and some conferences. It hasn't really worked for anybody in the SEC because people in the SEC actually run the football. They have some We have some pro-style offenses that will just run the ball down your throat. And with the 3-3-5, the whole concept behind it is you get more athletes on the field, but you can still kind of stay structurally sound against the run because you run that tight front, you clog up the A and the B gaps and you get more athletes on the field to defend the passing game. Iowa State, obviously playing the Big 12, there are a lot of pass-happy offenses in the Big 12, at least have been traditionally. They're kind of moving away from that to some degree with teams like Baylor, Kansas State, Kansas also. But that was the original idea and the impetus behind the 3-3-5 defense because nobody in the Big 12 was really pounding the ball down your throat on a consistent basis. I guess maybe Kansas State, for, for the longest time, was really the only team that was doing that on any sort of consistent basis or even trying to. So it made sense why Iowa State went to that defense. Well, now that's one of the reasons you've seen some of these teams in the Big 12 respond by going to more pro-style, downhill, rushing-heavy offenses, really as a response to 3-3-5, because Iowa State kind of introduced it and kind of proliferated throughout the conference, and now there's been like an offensive reaction to that. In the SEC, we've always run the football, so these teams that try to run and usually it's teams that don't have a bunch of defensive linemen like you can't recruit at the level that you need to to bring in like elite defensive linemen on a consistent basis but you have a bunch of guys that are pretty good athletes that can run around the secondary like Arkansas used that for a while like, like I have a lot of respect for Barry Odom as a defensive coordinator and he has not traditionally run the 3-3-5 when he got to Arkansas after he got fired in Missouri he came over to the DC with Sam Pittman he looked at that roster and was like we can't run my defense like we don't have the dudes we don't have those guys so what what can we do well we have some athletes so let's try to do this 3-3-5 remember what happened when we played them? We ran the ball down their throat with that 3-3-5. And that's honestly why Kiffin wanted to, to toy around with the 3-3-5 because he knows that they didn't have the dudes up front. They don't have those kind of guys. But they have some pretty good athletes. So I get why he did it, but it just hasn't worked for them. 
And that is absolutely not what Pete Golding is going to do. Pete Golding is going to be allowed to do what Pete Golding wants to do on the defense side of the ball. And he is going to bring the, the Nick Saban, Kirby Smart style defense right from that tree. And he is going to force the issue more. There's not going to be any more sitting back passively and just getting athletes on the field. They're going to get crushed by big, powerful offensive lines. That's not going to happen. And really at times, Ole Miss for the past couple of years, it wasn't even a 3-3-5. At times it was like a 3-2-6, kind of morphing from, from game to game, game plan to game plan, down in distance. It was morphing to different things. It really was a 3-2-6 at times. So you're not going to see that with Pete Golding in the Ole Miss defense this year. Just not going to happen. So I think from that perspective alone, this Ole Miss defense is going to be in better shape. They still have the players they have. But structurally, I don't think it's been a good scheme for them over the past couple of years. And I think they're going to solve that part of the equation this year. Now, do they, still have, do they have the players? I, I still have some serious questions about that. So let's dive in. Now, the first thing I do want to point out about the personnel of this Ole Miss defense this year is that the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. Yes, Ole Miss has benefited heavily from the portal over the past couple of years. But this year, defensively, they kind of got hammered. They lost three guys in the defensive backfield with starting experience who all went to, I would say they all went to contenders. I mean, that seems to be the theme here. Tysheem Johnson went to Oregon. Miles Battle went to Utah. Davison Igbeson went to Ohio State. So those guys went to absolute contenders this year in their conferences, maybe even national contenders. Uh, one of their starting linebackers from last year, Austin, at least he started a couple games. I'm not maybe at the entire season, but a couple games. Austin Keys, he flipped over to Auburn. That's where he transferred to. And when you add it all up, a total of nine defenders from last year's Ole Miss defense ended up on other Power 5 rosters this year. That's a lot of attrition on that side of the ball. But again, the portal taketh away, the portal also giveth, right? So good old Lane Kiffin, we know the portal king, went and got some more guys to replace some of those departures. Uh, Monty Montgomery is a linebacker they got from Louisville who's got some starting experience. The expectation is that Montgomery is going to start for Ole Miss at middle linebacker. I think he's going to be a good player for them in the middle of that defense. Certainly won't be much of a drop off from what they had last year. The other guy they brought in is a, a guy from UCF by the name of Jeremiah Jean Baptiste. He's in the battle to start. I don't think he's going to start. One of the guys that Ole Miss does have returning is their will linebacker, Kari Coleman. He'll probably get that starting job. Gene Baptiste will probably end up playing some as well. They do return three of their top four sack guys from last year. They do lose their top sack guy, Tavius Robinson. He had seven sacks. He's gone. Kari Coleman from the linebacker position had four and a half last year. A guy by the name of Cedric Johnson, who plays in for them, had four himself. Jared Ivey, also an edge player, three and a half. So I think they have the ability to kind of rush the passer from the edge a little bit. Now, one guy I'm really intrigued by, I think has a chance to really break out this year, not just for Ole Miss, but maybe in the, in the entire SEC, a guy by the name of J.J. Pegese. You might remember that name from his Auburn days. When he was a young player, he initially started at Auburn under Gus Malzahn. Remember, he played kind of that H-back position that, that Malzahn always liked a bigger guy at for blocking purposes, and every now and then they'd leak him out and throw the football to him. That was always a staple of those Gus Malzahn offenses at Auburn. Well, he transferred to Ole Miss when Malzahn got fired, and he started playing defensive tackle, which is really what he fits better anyway with his body type. And he's slowly but surely gotten better and better and better at that position to the point that this year, I mean, he really came on late last year, guys. He's a guy that has a ton of athleticism. Again, he played H-back. He actually carried the football, got thrown the football at Auburn. Like, it happened. He was a decent threat in that regard. He's kind of a shorter guy, 6'2", 315, not the biggest guy in the world, but super athletic. And I really think that he can give him a strong interior pass rush. So just remember that name. Watch out for that guy. You might remember him from a couple years ago at Auburn, but he's really kind of changed his game and reformed himself as a defensive guy. And I think he can really break out. I think he'd have an NFL future, to be entirely honest with you. 
At corner, it does look like they're going to start two more transfers. A guy named Zamari Walton. They brought him in from Georgia Tech. You might, I mean, I don't know how much you pay attention to Georgia Tech because who cares? It's Georgia Tech. Nobody cares. But, you know, you probably watched our game last year. Decent-ish, solid player. Really tall, lanky guy, like 6'3", 185 pounds. So long, pretty rangy guy at the cornerback position. And the other guy that right now seems to have the edge at the other cornerback spot is a guy by the name of DeAndre Prince. I don't know a ton about this guy. He's a transfer from Northeast Mississippi Community College. There's a bunch of those community colleges, JUCOs out in Mississippi. We'll see what they're going to get from him. I have questions about whether it's going to be better. I, I really do. They were not really good against the pass last year. I don't know if they're going to be better because it's just hard to project a guy that's coming from Juco. Like you can hear what people say about him, but if you haven't seen him with your own two eyes, you just don't really know. At safety, I don't think they're going to be better. They had two guys. I don't want to say that they were like elite, but they were really good, solid players. Remember Otis Reese? You know, he was here in Athens for, for a year or two. He's a really big high school recruit back in the day. Didn't really work out for him here at Georgia. Ends up transferring to Ole Miss and had a really solid career for them. Was never great. I mean, he was one of those guys that was a big time hitter, but kind of was deficient in overall athleticism. But he's gone, and so is his running mate, A.J. Finley, who was actually really good for Ole Miss at that safety position last year. So losing both those guys is going to be tough. I do think there's a good chance the Ole Miss front six can take a step forward this year. But the back end, I don't know. I, mean, I have serious questions about the back end. I think you'll be able to throw the ball on this defense. I think you'll be able to run the ball fairly well on him as well because there's still a lot of deficiencies in terms of overall talent on this defensive roster. But I do think, again, with Pete Golding being a DC and kind of changing up what they do from a schematic standpoint, I think that they will be better. I think they will take a step forward. But when I take when I say take a step forward, I'm, I'm saying like in year one under Pete Golding, go from like 57th national score defense maybe to like mid-40s, you know, go from 89th nationally in rush defense to, I don't know, top 75. But let's go back to their offense. If their offense takes the step forward this year, then I think it can. And that's that's hard to believe when they were as good as they were on offense last year. But if, if the quarterback position is better, if they're more proficient throwing the football this year, that offense very realistically could take a step forward. So even if they're just marginally better on defense, this team has a chance to win nine games. They have a chance. I don't think I would predict that right now, but I also don't think it's out of the question. I see what I would say are three certified losses on their schedule. I think that at Alabama is a certified loss, at Georgia is a certified loss, although, although I do think they, they can give both teams a game, but I think they'll lose both those games. LSU at home is probably a certified loss there. Outside of that, they can win all the other games on their schedule. Now, will they? I think that's probably a bit of a stretch. I think there's probably another game where they will kind of just not show up and drop a game. Maybe they probably shouldn't like Arkansas last year. They got steamrolled by Arkansas last year. And like Arkansas was a, was a six win team. Ole Miss had no business. I know it was in Fayetteville. They had no business losing that game period, let alone getting just murdered by the hogs. So they certainly have that in them. So that's why I think eight and four is probably where I would land on this team. And most of the win totals are wherever, whatever sports book you're looking at are right around eight, eight and a half. So I think that's the right number. I think that's the correct spot. That's why I'm staying away from them with the win totals this year. If I had to lean one way or the other, if you put a gun to my head and said, all right, Tyler, you've got to lay down a wager on Ole Miss to go over or under, let's say, eight and a half, I would ever so tentatively lean to the over, 
but I'm not super confident on that. I, I think like, they're, they're just better. I think they're better than Auburn. I know they play on the road, but they're better than Auburn. I do think they're better than Tulane, although I think that'll be a very difficult game on the road. It's just a really difficult spot that their administration put them in. I know when they scheduled that game that Tulane, there was no expectation that Tulane would be as good as they are right now, but that's the risk you run when you schedule those road games at G5 schools. Like, just don't, don't do that. Why are you doing that? They are better than Tech. They're better than Mississippi State. They are better than Vanderbilt. Arkansas, I think, might be pretty comparable from an overall talent standpoint. So I think that's kind of a toss-up game, but they do get them at home. That's a game they're absolutely capable of winning. So if they lose the games they should lose, which I would say are Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, but win all the other games that I think they should win, 9-3 and three is reasonable. But again, I just, this team under Lane Kiffin has a habit of blowing a game here or there that they have no business blowing. It's kind of been something they've done each and every year. But at the end of the day, I think this is a really interesting, fascinating team for a variety of different reasons. And it's a game late in the season that I don't want to say I'm nervous about. Nervous is not the right word. Let's just say it's a game that I am very aware of late in the season. And really, it's all about where it falls. I do think it's a good team. I think they're good enough to challenge us. I have a lot of respect for Lane Kiffin and Charlie White Jr. as offensive coaches. They do things very differently than most of the teams that we face. So we don't really have a lot of muscle memory playing this type of offense, like this specific scheme. So it's a little foreign to us. That's somewhat of a concern, but really just the fact that it falls right before the trip to Tennessee to, to play the Volunteers at Neyland Stadium, which we all know is going to be a massively hype game if Tennessee is going to be as good as most people think they are as good as I think they should also be I think this is going to be a probably a, a nine to ten win Tennessee team they, they should win at least nine or ten games if things don't go completely awry for them but Ole Miss is a classic trap game it's a classic trap game two weeks after the rivalry game in Jacksonville against the Gators and then one week before what will probably end up being the biggest regular season game on our schedule and that's a game at Tennessee which we're going to be focused on everybody's going to be talking about that game and people are going to overlook Ole Miss because at this point Ole Miss will probably have three losses ish I would say and nobody's going to expect them to go into Georgia and beat the Bulldogs but if we get caught looking ahead and we don't play to our standard they absolutely are good enough to at the very least push us now if we play our standard and we play our A game we will not lose that game but we all know like sometimes we don't play to our standard. It happens. Like we saw that at Missouri last year. And if we don't play to our standard, that game could be far more interesting than it has any business being. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you today. We'll be back with one more episode this week. So last week, I gave you 10 reasons why Georgia is going to win its third consecutive national championship this season. This week, though, we're going to look at the other side of things. We got to be objective here. And we're going to look at the biggest questions on this Georgia football team. Because there are some guys, like it's not all sunshine and rainbows for this team. There are some serious questions that we have to answer. I, I'm very hopeful that we have answers to these questions, but we still have to take a look at these questions before we kick off this season. And we will do that later on this week. So thanks for being here, guys. I always appreciate it. Make sure you check out that YouTube channel. Like, subscribe. Five-star ratings and reviews are greatly appreciated. But I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.